Welcome to the Voices of Aging podcast, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group, or ASIC, a student-led collaborative organization for the study of aging at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we feature guests working in different aging-related areas, and they share their experiences and wisdom. We release two episodes every month, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to learn more about aging every time you hit play. This is Madeline, host of the Voices of Aging podcast. Today we are hearing from Robert Freeman, who is the Vice President in Public Policy for the Alzheimer's Association, Minnesota, North Dakota chapter. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Madeline. I'm really excited to be joining this podcast. Firstly, I think uh, we should touch on exactly what advocacy is and why it's important. I don't uh, want to assume that all of our listeners um, are familiar with that term. Yeah, absolutely. So I think advocacy at its kind of base is is really sharing your story with um, elected officials as a way to try and affect a policy change. So um, we we really tell volunteers and and folks who are you know advocates for our for our organization, but for really for any organization, the most important part of this is is to be able to share your story in a meaningful way with an elected official. So you don't really have to know you know, like who's a Republican, who's a Democrat, what the bill number is. Um, when you go to, you know, when you come and talk to somebody about something, really what you need to be able to do is to be able to talk about like what your experience is and how it affects you. Um, and, and that's really what advocacy is. And I think that, you know, that translates into a lot of different kind of walks of life, but kind of in the, the way that I think about it in the public policy realm and probably the way a lot of your kind of listeners think about it is, you know, how can how can I be effective if I make, you know, if I contact an elected official or a government agency and I want to, you know, help them understand how something affects me or how something affects the people that I serve in my organization. Um, and that's really, really the crux of it. Awesome. What are some of the ways that advocacy work intersects with the Alzheimer's Association specifically? Yeah, that's a great question, Madeline. Thank you. So we we do um, advocacy really in kind of like two um, two places: the federal federal level and the state level. And so at the federal level, uh, that's you know really working with the the White House and the administration, um, our Congress people, our U.S. senators, so Senator you know Smith, Senator Klobuchar, um, you know folks like Representative Omar, Representative Tom Emmer, um, and a big piece of it is really making sure that um, we're they're hearing from people in their district and they kind of understand what the you know important issues are for the people who who live there who are their constituents and so as that relates to the Alzheimer's Association at the federal level it's really important to us you know we really exist as um, we really exist to try and help find a cure for Alzheimer's right and to support the people who are living with that disease and their loved ones the people who are you know impacted by it as well and so you know, we we strongly advocate for funding for research. Um, in the past, we've also, as as new drugs have rolled out, which I'm you know uh, want to come back to as well, making making sure that we're advocating for their access for access for those drugs as well. And then at the state level, 
we you know have been very active um, in all in in all fifty states and Washington D.C. But here in Minnesota and North Dakota, we've been very active in um, advocating for policies that will um, help caregivers be supporter of supports for those folks who are you know who are actively caring for somebody for dementia, um, and also to address address things like the disproportionate impact of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias on across different races because there is a very um, pronounced effect that we see as well and then certainly we you know we are very involved in making sure that people who have dementia who are in nursing homes or other care settings um, are adequately cared for and we've been fairly involved in that too. Wow that's incredible um, to ha have kind of your hands in both federal and, and local um, government is uh, I think really where change can happen uh, so you've mentioned um, sort of cure for Alzheimer's, uh, new medications, and then thinking about prioritizing caregivers um, more locally. Are those kind of the main public policies that you're currently working on? Yeah, we're definitely definitely at the federal level. Like our top priority is always going to be funding for research. Um, and so we advocate for funding for research through NIH, the National Institutes for Health, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Um, and that money then comes, you know, gets granted out or comes back to organizations that are doing research into uh, Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. We um, are asking for $321 million this year in addition to the money that's already being spent. Um, we've had a pretty successful track record over the last 10 years. The amount of money that's being devoted to research in this field has you know, doubled and then doubled again. Um, which is really, really impressive to the point now we're at almost, I think, almost $4 billion that's being spent on research, really. You know, and that's really a testimony to the success of the advocacy of um, volunteers who have gone and met with their Congress people who have talked to the administration um, to talk about why this is important and why it's important to find a, a cure for this disease and, and how it affects people. Um, access to medication has also been a really important um, new issue for us. And, um, and then certainly... Uh, we have um, we have urged Congress to continue making sure that the Alzheimer's that um, Alzheimer's is a top priority for the federal government. So we have a couple of bills, one of which is called the National Alzheimer's Project Act, which has to be reauthorized. It was passed about ten years ago or nine years ago. It has to be reauthorized next uh, within the next year to continue, and that essentially um, makes the federal government prioritize Alzheimer's in terms of. Um, research, how it kind of organizes its, state agency, its, its federal agencies, support for caregivers. Uh, and then we're also working on a bill called the um, Alzheimer's Accountability and Investment Act, which is a similar bill and it's similar in its, its, its approach. It's kind of tied to the funding too. And it allows the research scientists to NIH to come directly to Congress and present their budget to them rather than having to go through kind of the um, political process of figuring out like which things are going they get to come directly to congress that's really only true for um, alzheimer's and i think the ryan white uh, aids funding as well so it kind of gives the indication that it's a really top priority and it means that for us as advocates we can go directly to congress and say this is what the the research scientists at nih recommended um, in terms of funding needs and so we're really excited to uh, work on that. And that also needs to be reauthorized this year. So we're really excited to continue talking to our Congress, uh, congressional friends about that as well. Um, and then we have a new, a newer bill as well that we're working on something called the BOLD Act, which is building our um, 
uh, build, building our uh, um, dementia infrastructure um, in the US. And so that, that money basically appropriates money for like the public health infrastructure um, in, in the US. And that money comes to the states and uh, public health departments. So for instance, the University of Minnesota has a center of excellence that's funded with bold dollars. Um, the, um, the public health, the, the, uh, the Minnesota Department of Health receives money for that as well, which kind of helps underpin its own um, outreach efforts for public health. And then other states also get that money too. So we're really excited to make sure that, that continues as well as part of the Ask We Have a Congress. Some of the federal level policies that you're talking about, are those um, sort of pioneered at, or led by the Minnesota North Dakota chapter, or are you working with other state chapters on those? No, we have a we have a, a national office that is that kind of works on our um, federal outreach, and so we we went, um, our volunteers go and meet with the Minnesota and North Dakota delegation, the OHI, Ohio chapter meets with their folks, the New York, and so on. Um, but we're all we're all working off the same him sheet as it were and um, asking for the same things but I will say that Minnesota and North Dakota has been particularly supportive of these aims so I you know, really give a lot of credit to our volunteers our volunteer advocates in um, Minnesota and North Dakota they have been really successful in convincing their congress people to uh, sign on to these initiatives we were very successful in um, uh, making sure that they supported access to the new drugs that came out as well when we were advocating with CMS the agency that administers Medicare. Um, and so I just, it's, it's, it's particularly gratifying because, you know, so many of them have developed relationships with their Congress people um, over the years of being advocates. And, you know, they go to their town halls, they send letters to the editor, they, they send them emails, they, they come to Washington DC once a year to meet with them. Um, it's just, it, it's just a really great um, advocacy machine that we have here in our region. And, um, and all of the credit goes to those folks for, you know, tirelessly sharing their stories of how this disease has affected them and their loved ones. One of the reasons that um, we're so excited to be featuring you now is because of the Alzheimer's Association Day at the Capitol coming up in March. Um, I would love if you could share what that is, when it is, how people can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So our day at the Capitol is coming up on March 21st. Um, starting at the cap at the Saint in the Capitol in Saint Paul, starting at nine thirty. Um, the program actually kicks off at ten, but we have people come in at like nine thirty for um, to do registration. It's open to everyone who cares about this cause or knows somebody affected by Alzheimer's disease or other dementia. Um, and we'll have folks meet at the Capitol Rotunda that morning. Uh, there'll be probably like a hundred or so other advocates there. Um, and they'll receive training, kind of updates, and we'll talk about the legislation that we're advocating for. Uh, and then we'll have, you know, like get together for lunch and then folks will be able to meet with their legislators in the afternoon. And so usually folks will have the opportunity to meet with their state representative and their state senator for their districts. Um, I will say if you haven't ever done this before, there's no worries about that. We'll join you in meetings. You know, we'll help you prepare. Um, it's a really exciting opportunity for folks to um, make, make a difference and, you know, share their stories with their elected officials. And they really want to hear from you, right? If you're an elected official... Um, you want to know what your constituents, you know, what's important to your constituents, because that's your that's your job, and that's how you get reelected. That's how you be successful. So you know, we really, um, we really, uh, we really emphasize that to folks, and 
you know, tell them your story matters, your state representative, your state representative needs, needs to learn more about how they can support people living with Alzheimer's and their families. And um, we really want to make sure that we um, focus on you know, easing, their, easing their burden as caregivers um, and, and help them be successful as advocates. Wonderful. A couple follow-up questions on that. Um, is this something that uh, anyone can register for, or do you need to register? And if so, where can people do that? Yes. Uh, so everybody is welcome, regardless of their experience levels, regardless of their age. We have you know, teenagers, we have people in their 80s, we have people who are living with disease and their caregivers. Uh, everybody is welcome as long if they want to come and share their story and if they want to be uh, if they want to help folks who are living with this disease and they're more than welcome um, we do want people to register so that we can get meetings set up for them but if people show up on the day we are able to take care of that as well but um, it's always nice to know because we're you know buying lunches and we want to make sure that we're feeding everybody um, if people want to go to our Facebook page it's at ALZMNND as in Minnesota North Dakota uh, and click on the post there to register or they can go to our website alz.org slash mnnd and click on the advocacy advocacy tab uh, those are two ways that they can um, get registered and it's uh, helpful for folks to register ahead of time mostly so that we can figure out where they live and connect them to the right legislators because we'll set up meetings with people um, and it's really useful to know then to have a sense of like numbers and be able to tell a legislator we have constituents coming to your office at 2 30 on you know the afternoon of march 21st and um, make sure that they can connect with them. And like I said, like legislators really like meeting with constituents. It's their job. It helps them feel connected. Um, and it's where they get their best source of information from. My second follow-up, I think you've answered it. It sort of sounds like uh, common themes in attendees would be people experiencing Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia, maybe themselves, their caregivers, and then community members who are passionate about this topic or possibly um, folks in, in academics who are connected to the field. Does that sound yeah, accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes, yeah. And I'll, um, I would just say like, you know, anybody is welcome. It's, you know, um, we, de we definitely have a lot of folks who come from kind of a social work background or come in with a, like a medical background or nurses or folks who work with people who have Alzheimer's as well as people who have been personally affected by members of their family, but it's certainly not a qualification. I think if you want to come and just see what an advocacy day is like and um, and you're kind of tangentially connected to healthcare, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, then you know, they're more than welcome and um, we're happy to train you up and, and, and get you in front of your legislators so that you can help make a difference for this disease. Wonderful. I'm so excited about the, the day coming up and hopefully um, several listeners will, will get on board and, and register. You touched on this briefly already, um, given some of your uh, policy, um, current policy work. Can you give us some updates on current treatments and uh, what your policy work looks like related to that? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I, it's um, two, uh, next week will be, I'll have been with the association for two years, which is um, kind of exciting itself on Valentine's Day. Uh, but when I joined the Alzheimer's Association, just before I, maybe like two and a half years before I joined, I think like the outlook for Alzheimer's in most people's minds was pretty glum, right? It was, you know, it was an incurable disease. 
Um, I, th I think a lot of folks, especially in kind of like the healthcare world, you know, saw it as, you know, not even like a lot of patients we talk to or a lot of people we talk to who have been, you know, like touched by this disease say things to us like, oh, my, my you know, my, my, my husband wasn't even told he had a diagnosis. Like the doctor didn't think it was worthwhile. Um, what could what could the doctor do, right? Like doctors like to fix problems, which I totally get, right? State legislators like to fix problems too. And I work with a lot of both and they didn't really see it as something that they could really fix. So they didn't, so a lot of times I think it was just it kind of in that few. Just in the last two or three years, and I would say this is really as a result of, you know, like innovation by drug companies, but also the research that we've been funding for years and years, we've really just seen like a seismic shift in how we think about Alzheimer's disease. And, and that's because we have, you know, treatments now that can actually, um, you know, slow the progress of this disease, which is just so exciting for folks, because now we have, <clears throat> you know, really positive news that we can tell people, um, especially if they're like in the early stages. So, you know, just to kind of like highlight the two drugs that are out there. Uh, the first one is called Lecambi or Lecanemab. Um, it's a particularly impressive drug. It met all of its primary, its, its clinical trial met all of its primary, secondary endpoints, and was, uh, excuse me, was shown to slow the rate of cognitive decline by 27%. We're expecting another FDA approval of another drug uh, in the new year, sometime probably any day now, called Denanemab. And um, half of the study partners, or nearly half of the study participants in this drug, uh, had no decline of cognition or function for a whole year compared to 29% on the placebo. Um, and it shows, slowed the clinical decline by 35%. So I'm not a doctor, but I will say those are really exciting numbers. Um, it's an antibody intravenous drug, so an infusion drug. So it won't be you know, available anytime soon, I think, in like a pill form. But this is a drug that you'll have to go to like your neurologist, probably at like Mayo or Health Partners or one of the larger care systems um, and get uh, get into their, get into their, their book. Um, and it requires like a lot of follow-up appointments to kind of check her on some of the side effects as well. So um, whilst it's not a cure, it's definitely the first step on the way to a cure or get, get, getting to a point where the disease is manageable, which is really exciting. And then if you consider how much we spend, you know, in this country on Alzheimer's disease alone and other dementias, it's around $345 billion a year. By, you know, by the time that I hit... 70, it's probably going to be about a trillion dollars a year. Um, and so if we don't do something to change the trajectory of this, then it's going to, we're, we're basically going to be ending up spending as much money on this disease as we spend on the whole military. So um, as a nation, that's just not something we can do. And so it's really exciting for us to move forward with this, to have you know real hope for the first time for, I think, folks who are diagnosed. And um, we really want to emphasize, I think that it's you know, this is a drug and these drugs are most effective if they're taken kind of early on in the diagnosis. So it's really more important than ever that we have a public health infrastructure in place and we do outreach to help people understand that, you know, like forgetfulness isn't, um, memory loss isn't a normal part of aging. Um, I'm sure you and like the, fo the folks who listen to this show really know that, but there are a lot of people out there and um, particularly as you, as you kind of get into underserved populations, like lack of knowledge around this disease is, you know, is 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 all over the place, and um, so something that we really stress at the association, something that we're really excited to push forward, is um, ensuring that people have like the knowledge to uh, be able to, you know, come to their come to their primary care doctors and say, like, I don't think this is normal, or I don't think what my spouse is going through is normal, 
um, I want to be able to, you know, check and see, like do like a, a mini cog test or something to determine that. Um, I'll add as well that something that also is pretty exciting in the last couple of years is the biomarker tests that are becoming available. So, you know, in the next couple of years, we should have a blood test to should be able to diagnose Alzheimer's disease, which will be a game changer for um, for doctors and and for patients who currently are kind of relying on like a spinal tap or you know, which which is better than what we were doing ten years ago, which was a you know post mortem. Um, but it's really it will really make a big difference. And if you think about you know Alzheimer's a disease that you know, might start to show up like 15, 20 years before you even develop symptoms. Being able to do a simple blood test, being able to do a simple blood test like we do for cholesterol or any other like drugs that like a screening uh, could really like alter the path that folks are on with treatment as well. So um, just really excited about those things, like excited to see the new drug come down the line. And um, I think that we'll, you know, if we can build upon this success in, you know, kind of the way I mentioned like HIV earlier, but like if you think about like HIV in the 90s, it was really a death sentence. And now we've gotten to the point, I think, where it's you know pretty manageable with if you as long as you have access to healthcare and like medication. And so if we could get Alzheimer's even to that point, that would be a huge, huge advance in medicine um, and, and, and aging and, um, you know, something that, you know, is possible, I think, like within the lifetime of of you and all the other like budding medical students out there that are going into geriatrics or other like careers like that. That's yeah. To be able to do that in like the next 20 years would be just an outstanding achievement. Thank you so much for that summary of, of these recent updates. I think it, I totally agree. It's incredibly exciting and, and it's great to feel hopeful about Alzheimer's disease. I think from the healthcare perspective, it's so easy to just sort of lose hope when you think about your your patients that have Alzheimer's disease or other types of dementia. Um, and I, I love the, the analogy to HIV. I think uh, that's a great way to picture a goal for the future as it pertains to Alzheimer's disease. Um, I think, and you know, I given the current research, I, I think I believe we can get there one day. Um, as we begin to wrap up here, uh, if any listener would like to learn more about whether it just be Alzheimer's disease in general, um, about current uh, policies, uh, what, where can they get information or you know, what, what would you like to, to plug for sort of the, the average listener who might be like a general community member? Yeah, I would say, first of all, the association offers care and support to all Minnesotans and North Dakotas through its no-cost classes, support groups for people with dementia, for caregivers, classes for community groups. We have a free helpline website. Um, anytime, we have a 24-7 helpline. Uh, it's uh, 1-800-272-3900, which can help you with legal, financial care decisions, treatment options, help you uh, find a program or a support or a class, which could be in-person or virtual, can help with crisis assistance, decision-making support, like all of the folks who, um, you know, are it's, it's answered by a real person who, you know, has expertise in these, these issues. Uh, another great place to go is just to like our like general website, like alz.org. Um, and then you can also follow us on the social media. Um, if you want to learn more about upcoming events, new research, volunteering, we, as well as volunteers um, to do advocacy, we also um, rely on an army of volunteers for other things such as hosting these classes, um, you know, raising money, like the association raises a lot of money, which goes also into research as well as the money we ask for from 
Congress as well, like signing up for one of the walks that we do in the fall. Um, and uh, there's a whole other, there's a whole other like host of ways that you can help as well. Even if you don't want to be an advocate, um, certainly there are other ways that you can, you can come and help. And um, we welcome, welcome anybody who wants to volunteer their time and um, to, to uh, with the Alzheimer's Association. Wonderful. I think that wraps it up. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I know our audience is going to get a lot out of this episode. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Madeline. That's so sweet. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope to see lots of you at the Capitol on March 21st. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Follow Voices of the Aging and ASIC on social media for more information about the episodes and guests on the podcast and to learn more about us as a student group. See you next time.